Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift It Nutrition Radio. Today, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Ailip Farmer, and she is the founder of Full Well Prenatal, and they have several other products. But the reason I have her on today is because she is a wealth of knowledge, and she is here to talk about a combination of postnatal nutrition and prenatal nutrition. And if you guys don't know about her history, she is the founder of, or also worked in Boston Functional Medicine. So she is one of my favorite dietitians that really has laid the foundation for functional medicine. So Ayla, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today, taking the time out of your day to share your knowledge and your wisdom. Do you mind telling my listeners just briefly about what makes you so passionate about nutrition for women? Oh, thank you, Lacey, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, um, got into this niche through client work. And so it, it really started probably a little over, well, 12, about 12 years ago when I was working at, a, a high-end sports club actually in the area in the Boston area where I'm from and where I, I practice out of. And, um, through that work, I started to get referrals from, from a local IVF clinic, a really popular one in the area, well-known one. Um, and it was women who were told you need to lose weight as much and as quickly as possible, or else we are canceling your, your fertility treatments, or they won't be successful, that kind of thing. So high pressure stakes really stressed out women given really bad advice, you know, uh, in more of the conventional space. And so, um, as I started to work with them, I realized there is just, there's so much here. There's so much more that I could do, um, to help you to, to, uh, possibly avoid treatments, but definitely to get better outcomes. And it's not just about weight loss. So that's where, um, I would say just prior, I had started to get into functional medicine, really studying it, doing some more formal training in it. And I thought there's really nothing, um, more perfect than fertility as a whole to apply a functional medicine model or approach too, because it's such a huge umbrella, you know, of many possible issues that can fall within it that, um, to me, it was kind of like a match made in heaven. And I hadn't seen, I didn't know any colleagues, anyone else that was doing it, but, um, basically I, I approached it, like, let's look at the root cause of what's, what's going on, you know? And, um, that's really how I look at all, all, all cases, but with fertility in particular, it was, um, that it was, it was hugely rewarding and helpful. And so, um, beyond just fertility though, in my practice, which I've maintained for, um, about 12 years, uh, it, you know, I, I started to kind of branch into thinking about fertility as not just a matter of reproducing, you know, having babies, but also a marker of health and something that we may want to strive for and to achieve throughout the lifespan. So even getting into the perimenopausal menopause years. So I'm kind of, kind of, um, that that's kind of what led me to, um, really specializing in women's health and also infertility as a whole, and ultimately what birth full well in the, in the products that we produce. Absolutely love that. So when we talk about postnatal care and postnatal nutrition, when it comes down to how to fuel yourself after a pregnancy, a lot of women are forgotten about. They just birth a baby and the huge focus is on, of course, feeding the baby. Now, of course, that's very important, right? We want a healthy, thriving baby, but moms are forgotten about. And there's little little things that you can miss out on, on your nutrition. And then there's big aspects like postpartum depression that can happen. So let's first talk about um, what are the key nutrients that women lose mm -hmm. when they give birth? 
Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think that in general, well, we know that postpartum women and postpartum recovery is hugely understudied. You know, women are just not looked at during that time. And, um, it's kind of this, it's this crazy shift that happens where you've, uh, you've gone from, uh, what can be sometimes weekly visits and checkups in that final stretch of pregnancy to basically being told, uh, you know, to bring baby in frequently in those first few weeks, but you're not seeing anyone talking to anyone until a pretty brief six week follow-up. And I have found, uh, from my practice clients, I've found from personal experience that that six week follow-up tends to focus in around, okay, what are you doing for birth control? You know, and, and, uh, you know, have you, have you healed enough to have sex, you know, and, and that that's, um, there's so much more that goes into, you know, postpartum recovery and, and bigger concerns and priorities usually at that stage postpartum. And, um, you know, we, we treat postpartum recovery very differently in this country and, and just generally in our modern culture, uh, than we ever have historically. So, um, and it used to be, and it is in some parts of the world still, and in some cultures, a time where there would be a deep, intense focus on support and nourishment and recovery, you know, rest, um, and bonding for mom and baby. And, you just don't really see, you just don't see that now as being the norm. Um, and there's, there's a whole, a whole lot of systemic systemic really issues for that. But I think the most important thing to know is that, you know, labor and delivery is extremely intensive. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to equate it to anything I've seen, um, people describe, you know, labor and delivery, like a marathon. I think it's, it's more than that. And it's a lot more complex. I mean, there's, um, just to kind of give some examples as to why recovery, um, become and nutrition needs wind up becoming so much higher postpartum, you know, you have, you have a delivery of an organ, the placenta, you know, which happens shortly after delivering baby. And there is almost a saucer sized wound or hole that's left, you know, right in the uterus that needs to be repaired. There's a ton of tissue remodeling that needs to happen. Just repair that can be tears or episiotomies that happen C-section. So actual wound healing needs to, needs to happen. And, and like I said, even for just repairing where the placenta was in a totally non-complicated, uh, labor and delivery, um, you know, then you have just all this like tissue remodeling that happens in the breasts, you know, to accommodate breast feeding and the sheer level of nutrients that are needed just to produce breast milk. So even though if, even if there are women that are listening that aren't planning to breastfeed or they don't breastfeed for an extended period of time, uh, you know, there still is a tremendous amount of recovery that is needed. Um, and generally speaking across the board, you know, macro micronutrients, they all increase uh, up to, well, really quite significantly, they, then they were, they're higher than even the third trimester of pregnancy. And that's something that I think I found really startles people. They don't, um, realize that needs are so much higher postpartum than they are during pregnancy. And yet it's such a difficult time to really nourish yourself. So we can definitely talk about some of the specific nutrients, um, as well, if you think that would be interesting to your listeners. Oh, let's do it. I have a few in mind for me. Um, of course we know iron blood loss, mm -hmm. our B12 our zinc our fat soluble nutrients, like our vitamin A or vitamin D. And then of course, our omega three fatty acids, which are heavily needed for repair, but go ahead, throw them out yeah. there. 
Iron is so interesting. Um, that's iron's actually a nutrient that I, I feel like I, uh, have done just, I've just really done some deep dives into in recent, um, years. It's such a complex nutrient, but, um, the, the interesting thing is that technically the iron recommendations for postpartum women go right back immediately to what they would be, um, actually not even, uh, to what they would have been pre-pregnancy. They go to a lower level than pre-pregnancy, assuming that a woman is not immediately menstruating. So iron recommendations, I mean, definitely were definitely created by men. I mean, they, they really, um, are problematic. Some of the RDAs and things that we have around iron recommendations, but a lot of it is influenced recommendations for women. A lot of it's influenced on menstruation or not. Um, so you see sometimes immediate postpartum iron recommendations mimic like postmenopausal iron intake for women. So that's, that's really not going to be an accurate way to look at that. So it, it, it comes down, iron's such an individual nutrient, you know, and one to look at on an individual basis because we can overdo it, you know, right. And that could be inflammatory and stressful in the body. And then we can underdo it. And that can be equally as problematic. And yeah, as you pointed out, during labor and delivery, there can be significant blood loss. I mean, there's always going to be some, uh, a significant, there is always going to be a degree of blood loss and it could be more significant for some than others. And depending on that can be, can dictate how much you need to focus on iron. What, if that can just come from foods, if it needs to come from supplements or an infusion, things like that, um, postpartum, but, um, no matter what, I think iron, iron and B12, vitamin B12 are, are two two nutrients that, that do need to be really focused on. And it's why in traditional postpartum diets around the world through history, pretty much one thing that they all have in common is they include red meat, organ meats, some include oysters. So they're, they're including a lot of foods like that, but organ meats, animal source foods are, are heavily featured in, in postpartum diets around the world. And, and part of it is for the iron and B12, but it's the overall nutrient density. It's the collagen con uh, content, you know, uh, collagen is from bone broth, from slow cooked, tough cuts of meats. You know, you think like chicken with the skin on it, um, organ meats, whole fish with the skin, or even just collagen supplements, you know, are, is going to be really beneficial in a number of ways too, for postpartum recovery, the amino acid profile, the glycine it contains so helpful for all that tissue remodeling that we were just talking about that, that happens and just amino acids to re rebuild, uh, you know, rebuild, um, and repair, uh, as, as well. So those are a couple to focus on, but I, you know, you also mentioned essential fatty acids and, you know, that's, there's quite a bit that gets depleted, um, for mom through pregnancy to meet the growing demands of baby throughout, throughout pregnancy. And then postpartum in particular, if you're breastfeeding, you're needing even more. This is the theme. I mean, with postpartum, you need even more than you needed in pregnancy of everything and essential fatty acids, ideally, in my opinion, from fish oil, um, fish is, is going to be super important. And the, the nice thing about coupling, if you're getting it from fish, um, you know, is iodine needs are higher postpartum. Um, they're definitely needed in much higher levels. If breastfeeding choline is needed in higher levels, you'll also find that in fish and seafood. So, um, so yeah, so those are, those are a few additional nutrients. I am such a big fan of fatty fish. 
for those mm. omegas and then vitamin D. I think a lot of women, they want to run to that supplement, but you are missing out on a key, really good fish here that has so many nutrients in it, anti-inflammatory. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you're, you're, you're similar philosophy, uh, you know, as I am where, you know, supplements are hugely supportive as add-ons to help fill in gaps and help boost what's needed, what might otherwise be low or, or maybe we just can't get as much of in our modern diets for a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons, soil quality production methods, all of, you know, all of that, right. There's a lot of, that could probably be a whole podcast topic. Right. But, um, but you know, and that's where supplements can be hugely supportive, but like food first, (laughs) you know, 100%. Now, when it comes down to other nutrients. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on how women kind of just want to jam pack themselves with vitamin C? You have any thoughts on that? Cause I, for some reason, people, I see a lot of people running to vitamin C and zinc postnatal. And then of course, in this world with all the stress and all the viruses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I am. And, and one of the reasons why I created the P the prenatal formula that I did is I, I am a fan of nutrient thinking about nutrient synergy, you know, and how nutrients complement each other, how they're needed, uh, as cofactors and the metabolism and, you know, various cellular processes of one another. And so I think it's just really important to make sure that things are in balance, you know, and, um, I so, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I don't know that, you know, zinc and vitamin C are like, I mean, zinc and vitamin C are both important for postpartum recovery, but you know, if you had to really focus anywhere, I would be saying like, you know, collagen sources, uh, protein sources as a whole, um, mm-hmm. B vitamins, choline, iodine, and essential fatty acids. Those would be like my top ones. I mean, I could, <laughs> I could keep going cause there's a vitamin a, you know, too, but like those, those I, vitamin C zinc, while important would be further down on the list. I love it. And I would also say like you mentioned protein, those healthy proteins, a variety of those healthy fats too. And then Mm -hmm. focusing really on when you're talking about postnatal, that fluid in general hydration status is huge. So please do not forget that ladies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you may have talked about this in your podcast before, but, um, really how, most women are just not, most people are not meeting their protein needs at any point, you know, and, uh, they certainly aren't during pregnancy or in postpartum. And, and that's, that's a real, um, that's a real concern for recovery, especially if you're thinking about subsequent pregnancies and just for your own quality of life, recovery and being, being a mom, um, you know, protein needs are, are so important to, to focus on. Yeah. I say at least, around that 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. I go on the higher end, um, but I think that's exactly what's needed. Now, you guys weren't here when I told Ayla, hey, I already have a prenatal nutrition podcast and I threw her for a loop and I was like, let's talk postnatal. So I'm going to transition her now to her favorite thing to talk about and why she has largely developed her prenatal. Um, Let's talk about what are the key nutrients and why did you even develop full well, the prenatal that you made? Yeah. So, you know, really it was born out of, uh, me working with clients and piecing together a lot of different supplements, uh, to try to get to what I wanted, what I felt like were, what I knew were evidence-based, um, amounts of nutrients, as well as the forms of nutrients, which matters tremendously. So if we think about, it's not just, um, 
you know, checking the box of uh, a nutrient on the label, we want to make sure that the form is in its most bioavailable format and that we ultimately are going to be able to um, assimilate and use it. Um, and so I had that in mind. And the other, the other big driver for me was at the time when I was, I was first sketching out and thinking about the sketching out formulas, there was a huge problem and there still is in the supplement industry as a whole, but perhaps particularly with prenatal vitamins where contamination was huge. And so we're talking like heavy metals, things that we know would have a detrimental impact on developing babies, um, and also on fertility. So I was thinking, uh, not only about going into it with the formula that I wanted and getting the exact precise formula forms ratios, you know, nutrients that I wanted, but also really being involved every step of the way in the quality control, um, and of the process which is rare. You don't typically have health practitioners do more than the formulation perhaps for, for products for many companies, but to have a health pr practitioner behind each step of the manufacturing process to make sure that it's true to that original formula intention and that quality control is being met, I think is really important. And then lastly, for me, it was really having um, t the right amount of testing above and beyond amounts of testing done on each batch verified by independent third parties to make sure that it was, it, we're, we're doing right by our customers and producing something safe. So that was, that was a key, a key piece for me. It was really never to get into being in the supplement business. I wasn't necessarily um, excited to be a supplement company owner. And I, I I'll be honest, I still, you know, still, I'm just mostly driven by getting the better products out there. Um, and also at an affordable price point, there's huge, huge margins, uh, you know, too, for, um, some of these. So I really, even though we include premium ingredients, we've kept, we've kept, um, our price point reasonable for, for the public. Um, but, uh, you know, the formula itself, I, I have a lot of my research, a lot of my work to date has been in what are the ways in which both, um, men, women and men's preconception before pregnancy's health influences the health of a pregnancy and postpartum recovery, and ultimately babies and families over the long term. And I really, I really feel really passionate about that preconception window before be, maybe you've, um, you've decided that you want to start trying to conceive, or it's even just a thought at, at some point in the future, but the things that women and men are doing in that time, we know, um, influence pregnancy and postpartum just really significantly and can help avoid really, really serious pregnancy complications. And we're talking diet and lifestyle changes. So that's where it falls into you and I's realm, you know, uh, and, and scope is it's, it's really, it's really about making some very doable diet and lifestyle shifts that have an, an enormous impact. Um, and men's preconception health and the way in which it can contribute to some serious pregnancy complications like pregnancy loss, miscarriage, um, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, preterm birth. I mean, that's, that's really exciting to me because it means no, not all the burden is on women's shoulders, right? It is not only them that we need to look at. And, um, there's just so much more that we can do for moms and babies via and families via looking at men's preconception health too. So I know I kind of veered off in a couple of <laughs> directions here, but no, I, but I love that. It takes two to tango. 
and men are forgotten about their nutrition. And I even passed over it today. So their nutrition is just as important as mama's nutrition because it takes Mm -hmm. two to tango. Yep. It, it absolutely is that we, there's this perception that, um, sperm are needed for fertilization and that, that is it, you know, or, and also that running a semen analysis is enough, you know, and that, that will give us all we need for data on men's health and the health of the sperm. And the reality is neither of those things are true. And, um, men really need to be thinking about, um, the things that they're doing before pregnancy, uh, to, to help, to help prevent some of these really painful and, um, taxing, you know, complications that can arise. Yeah. Now I'm just going to throw this out there you guys. If I have a client that comes to me, my focus is on, okay, let's get labs done for mama and dad, if possible, prior to conceiving. And that is the best way, in my opinion, to go about that. But then also you want to make sure in the meantime that you do have good comprehensive nutrition, mm-hmm. fluid status, and then the supplementation that you also need. So let's talk about those key nutrients that are in your full product and your prenatal mm-hmm. things that are not in other different prenatals and are very important like our methylfolate and our choline. So what let's talk, talk about that methylfolate versus that folic acid. Why is methylfolate the most important? Yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because it's, um, this is, it's such a controversial Topic I saw your... where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, like... poor, poor Ayla. She's the sweetest person. And people just attacked her on Instagram. That felt so bad. I was like, I'm going to come in there with my claws. <laughs> well, so, you know, the root, the root of the, um, of the drama, I should say around the folic acid versus, um, folate, methylfolate, folinic acid, other forms of folate, um, you know, debate is, there, the conventional recommendations through conventional medical organizations like ACOG recommend folic acid. Now, um, I, you know, Lily Nichols and I, we did a really comprehensive webinar. If someone wants like a two hour deep dive into this, but just the cliff notes are, um, you know, really that folic acid was introduced into the food supply in the late nineties, right. As a way to fortify, uh, and provide extra folic acid to help prevent neural tube defects, a really serious, you know, birth, uh, potential birth defects. Now, folic acid is not one thing to point out is it is not the only nutrient involved in neural defect neural tube defect prevention. Um, it's only one of them. Uh, folic acid is, uh, hundreds of times I should get the exact amount, but it's, it's hundreds of times less expensive, um, to use in supplement form than methylfolate, um, or folinic acid. So it is preferable in that way, especially when we think about large public health policies to, um, uh, fortify the food supply without significantly, creating burden or increasing prices. Right. So there's a lot of reasons why even beyond that folic acid came to be and was added. And it turns out, you know, and so it's been studied, right. Cause there's industry in- interest in that. And folic acid does to some extent, um, absolutely prevent neural tube defects. It is absorbed really well and very easily in the gut. It is not utilized well though. And so that's the big, the big thing here is that, it requires conversion, you know, and I bet you, you've covered this, Lacey. I know you, you, you know, at some point, but it requires conversion. That conversion requires an enzyme that not everyone produces efficiently. Even if you do produce it efficiently, I'd argue that you're only ever going to be able to convert a certain amount of folic acid. And we have issues with 
what happens to what isn't converted. Basically it's called unmetabolized folic acid, but, um, yeah, we use a combination of methylfolate and folinic acid in the prenatal. And I do that for a couple of reasons. It's primarily the majority of that is, is methylfolate with a small amount of folinic acid, both methylfolate and folinic acid, which is also sometimes you see it on a label as calcium folate, folinate. Um, those are natural forms of folate that are found in the food supply. So that's, you know, if we look at what is, what the majority of folate in food looks like, it's methylfolate, um, and folinic acid, though there's many types of folate. So we basically just chose to use, um, forms of folate that don't require conversion. So there's no extra work or pressure on the body systems, genetics, all that enzyme production, um, and is something that we know the body already can utilize, right? It's just, um, it's the forms that are found in food. And to me, that feels very, not, <laughs> not a very, um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure why it creates so much argument to be honest. Um, you know, yeah. So, so that's, that's folate and how we, how we address that. Absolutely love that. And, you know, also, we also have the MTHFR, the methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme that can 40% of the population has an issue with recycling that and having issues with methylation, which mm -hmm. is basically, I kind of think of it kind of like the biochemical game of hot potato in order to turn off or on certain genes, create neurotransmitters, hormones, you name it. So having that there is kind of also very helpful for those people. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, um, it doesn't require conversion. And I, I think, you know, probably uh, there's definitely a growing awareness, you know, especially among savvy, um, savvy, um, individuals who do the research on health around MTHFR. And, um, I just would say like, even if you don't have, you know, any sort of genetic mutation, which a lot of people do, but any issue with MTHFR, I think it's, it's still folic acid still is problematic, you know, cause like I said, you're, you're never going to fully, you're not going to fully metabolize that. And I, what I've looked at the research into is, is exactly what, um, it's, if you search for unmetabolized folic acid, UMFA, you'll find some really good data and links to, uh, links, various links to different health issues with that. And so to me, it just felt, it feels like a no brainer. Let's use what's, what's naturally found in food, what we know our body can process there is for anyone that's concerned, you know, there, are, we are required as, as a supplement manufacturer on the label to put the dietary folic acid equivalents on the label. So you can see right on the label, how does that, how does this equate to folic acid? And, and that's a way, um, that's a way to kind of see, okay, how does this translate to what the research on folic acid has shown? Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that. One thing I absolutely love in your formula too, is that you also, you also include some betaine hydrochloric acid, which is definitely not in a lot of different products. Do you mind telling my listeners why betaine is important in there? Yeah. So, you know, there's just a little bit of, of the betaine HCL. It's not super high amounts, but it's enough where it's going to help you break down the capsule and absorb some, the nutrients that we're, we're putting in this formula. So, um, this I think becomes particularly important with the water soluble vitamins, like the B vitamins, um, which are dependent to some extent, at least on stomach acid production. So I should probably back up and say that what that's doing is basically providing just a little bit of that acid that can help to 
digest and absorb, help facilitate the better digestion and absorption of the nutrients that are in the product without, and I should say, I mean, we've been around now for about two and a half years and, um, we very rarely have tolerance issues, even though it's a high dose supplement, which we can definitely talk about why that is. Um, but, uh, it's, it's not something, you know, even in pregnancy, when you're at a higher risk of reflux, um, even if you have known, you know, acid reflux, this tends to be actually support that and help with that because, um, some of the root, the root causes to reflux, especially when it comes to, well, if we talk about pregnancy, prenatal reflux, um, in particular is that everything just slows down. Motility slows down in pregnancy, um, and postpartum. Uh, because of hormone production, like progesterone, relaxin. So things just aren't moving through your system, you know, as, as quickly. And there's also that like little sphincter in the bottom of your esophagus, the lower esophageal sphincter. It doesn't because of those hormones as well. It just doesn't really close quite as tightly or as efficiently. And so, um, a lot of times it's giving a little bit of extra um, you know, acid or a little bit of extra enzyme support actually helps reflux quite a bit. So, um, yeah, a few reasons why we include it. And I just wanted to say that in case anyone was concerned, you know, thinking, Oh no, I don't want worse reflux. No, I think a lot of people, they think, Oh my gosh, reflux betaine is going to be an issue for you. And a lot of times low stomach acid is the mm -hmm. issue and why you have mm -hmm. reflux, but of course there's H pylori, a lot of different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want to also celebrate the fact you put this in is because betaine in itself is very important for phase two of estrogen detoxification and also very important for methylation, which again is kind of like the biochemical game of hot potato. We need to make pass those methyl groups in order to create those D the DNA, the neurotransmitters, the hormones, and to even detoxify. So I'm really glad you also have that in there for methylation purposes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and on, you know, speaking of methylation and, and tying back to neural tube defect prevention, we, we have a really good dose of choline, you know, in our, in our product too, and, um, 300 milligrams, which is hard to do. Um, and, and one of the reasons why our, uh, serving size is as high as it is, is choline is a really large nutrient. It takes up a ton of capsule room. It's just big. So is magnesium. So whenever you include, uh, those nutrients in a supplement, if it's going to have an amount that's even worthwhile, right. It's actually therapeutic. You know, it's, you're not going to, it's not going to be a one a day. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, so it, it does drive up the number of capsules, but it's so important. I mean, with choline, we know that 95% of women are not meeting even the adequate intake level, but the adequate intake level is arguably set almost 50% too low. So I think pretty much we can say just about no one is getting in enough choline and there's, um, real implications to that. I mean, it's involved in baby's brain development, uh, linked to long-term, um, cognitive health in children. Uh, it is important for mom, you know, mom's overall brain development. It comes into play really early in pregnancy and methylation and preventing miscarriage, um, you know, pregnancy loss. It is, it plays a huge role in neural tube defects, even though, um, folate gets all the attention choline choline's critical. And like I said, most people aren't really pretty much everybody's not getting in enough. Um, and so that those are, um, those are the, some things to make sure if you're kind of like evaluating your prenatal that you have right now, you know, or any multi really, cause we need choline at all stages of life. Um, 
taking a look at how much is in there. I mean, if there's, if it's included at all, it tends to be, uh, you know, 10, 20, maybe 50 milligrams, right. It's not, um, it's not going to be in the hundreds of milligrams, which is what we need. And in fact, we really are needing closer to a thousand milligrams a day based on new research. I'm such a big fan of choline. I eat my eggs yeah. all the time. I'm like, grab your eggs. We got our omegas or vitamin D or iron. Mm-hmm. We got everything in there. Oh yeah. With the yolk, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. With the yolk. So, okay. We talked about choline and I'm going to just pick your brain one more time. Let's talk about, and you guys, there is a prenatal podcast. I've talked about this before, but let's talk about iron needs, prenatal iron needs. Cause there mm-hmm. is a lot of issues here and other prenatals and a lot of issues in general. Yeah. So I did, I did, I tried to do a really comprehensive blog post on this, um, to break it down, you know, for for readers. Yeah. I would love for, I would love that, you know, so we've got that up on the full well blog, but, um, the gist of it is that one of the, first of all, um, iron needs should be monitored at an individual level. So just throwing it into a prenatal, uh, is, is not a great idea. In my opinion, it uh, competes for absorption with other nutrients. So there's that, uh, we, we don't want to do that. So it, even if you need iron, I did not include it in my prenatal on by intention, because it, again, should be taken really separated from, from those other nutrients. So we're not just uh, negating or competing for absorption there. Um, two, you know, you might not need iron in supplemental form. It's hard to tolerate. It's hard to absorb. Food is always going to be your best source for iron. Um, you know, so if you can do it through food, then that's, that is definitely preferable, uh, for just your quality of life really. (laughs) Um, so there's that piece. And then, you know, really assessing, okay, do you need, do you need more iron in supplemental form? How much let's match it to what your needs really are and, and monitor that so that you're not taking it for an extended period of time when you may not need to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a whole functional medicine discussion here too, where it's getting at the root cause of, uh, you know, I've had really stubbornly anemic you know, clients in the practice I've had, um, where just nothing budges with dietary and supplement intake. And, you know, that can point to some real gut absorption issues. Um, so there's, there's a real good case to be made for, uh, you know, addressing gut health, overall optimizing digestion before you even, uh, try to conceive, you know, cause that's going to make really everything run more smoothly, but, um, when it comes to iron, I, I definitely advocate for not letting your, not having your practitioners only run a hemoglobin hematocrit, you know, advocate for a ferritin at a minimum as well. Uh, just because there's, there's more complete iron panels, but at a minimum I'd add the ferritin on because the, um, hemoglobin hematocrit won't tell you if it's iron or if it's folate or B12, you need, you need to know it, but all three of those things can impact hemoglobin hematocrit. So that's, that's one step. Cause the, the, um, standard of practice is just to run hemoglobin hematocrit and mm-hmm. is to use non-pregnant, non-trimester specific reference ranges. <laughs> so that means that your results might not be being interpreted, uh, for pregnancy and the stage of pregnancy that you're in. So that's also really important. And, um, a free resource to look at trimester specific data and reference ranges. That's really quite good is perinatology.com. Um, 
And it might be something that, you know, listeners don't necessarily want to be like navigating themselves or you might, but you can also share it with your practitioner, you know, and then help and they can help give you some guidance. I mean, better yet, it's like your registered dietitian who really knows the nutrition side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that would be my recommendation because there's something called hemodilution that happens. The blood volume increases so significantly in pregnancy and at various stages that hemoglobin, hematocrit, and even ferritin will look lower, you know? So, um, I think we're probably over treating iron, you know, in general, even though it's also iron deficiency is also a real, a real issue. So I don't want to downplay that. No. And I'm so glad you talked about that. And when it comes down to iron too, we want to make sure that we have proper vitamin A and copper in order to mobilize our iron. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people they'll throw iron in and maybe it's vitamin A, maybe it's copper that they're low in. And Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of testing everything, figuring out why are you iron deficient? And most importantly, making sure that you're supplementing iron based on your labs. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And we, um, I did include, uh, and I get a lot of questions about this, the, the active form of vitamin A. So retinal palmitate in, in the prenatal and, um, it's, it's not, uh, it's not contraindicated. Vitamin A is not to be avoided during pregnancy, even though there is some rhetoric around that out there. It is one where it's possible to go too high, but the reality is that it takes extraordinary levels. (laughs) When you actually look at the data, um, extraordinary levels of vitamin A, uh, that really wouldn't be achieved unless you were eating, uh, you know, loads of liver daily, the best source of vitamin A plus supplementing with it. So I've done some, some work with other colleagues and just some work on my own to really understand like, what would it take to get to vitamin A toxicity, right? Like, what do we really need? And I think, um, the, there's a much bigger case to be made that, that women are not meeting their vitamin A needs. And there's worse, there's really serious implications of that. Um, uh, versus the fear that and messaging that we've been putting out there for so long around the toxicity of vitamin A. So it's, it's really, the reality is we're at the other end of the spectrum. Oh my gosh. There's so much to the story here, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> so you guys, I am going to link all the information for, of course, Ayla and her, of course, Instagram and her products full well. Is there anything in particular you want to suggest for proper pre or postnatal nutrition before I give everybody your information. I think that, uh, you know, we've, I would, I would love, we'd put a, I put a lot of effort into writing the comprehensive blog posts, uh, you know, uh, on our, on our blog. So I, we've got quite a bit on both women and men's fertility and preconception health. I think my biggest, um, my biggest, uh, you know, th- recommendation that I'll make is just to make sure that your male partner, you know, uh, is also making changes with you and that don't underestimate how significant an impact that is going to have on the health of your pregnancy, uh, as well as baby's long-term health. And so men need to come on board too. And so that's the message that I'm trying to really get out there now is, uh, yes, women, I think generally know a prenatal vitamin is really wise during pregnancy, but start that three to six months prior, and you're going to be in even better shape. And then, uh, similarly get your, your partner on board with, um, doing really very similar changes that you would do. But, uh, and we also have a men's, um, counterpart to our prenatal, uh, that would be great to take in that like three to six plus month window preconception. 
Amazing. You guys, I'm going to put all Ayla's information, including links to find, follow her, and of course, find her information in her blog post in the description below. So Ayla, thank you so much for taking your time to come on my podcast, to share your wisdom. You are just a breath of fresh air in this industry, especially for functional nutrition and functional medicine. So thank you so much again for taking your time to come on my podcast. Thank you, Lacey. This is wonderful. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys have a beautiful day. Um, Ayla, you as well. And then we will have a new podcast very soon.